Welcome to the podcast, Facing the Facts, Path to Gaining Control, Accessing Power, and Ultimately Creating a Life of Abundance. I'm your host, Tony Laprino, here with a new episode. Are you batshit crazy? This episode is for people who want to realize their dream of self-employment without taking the long, hard, up-all-night, burnout, high-failure route. And I'm joined on the show today by a special guest, Carl Allen, a world-class entrepreneur, investor, and corporate dealmaker who has worked on more than 330 transactions worth close to $48 billion in business. And before I bring Carl on the show, I want to share a little bit about his background. In his 30-year career, Carl has analyzed thousands of businesses, big and small, in 17 different countries across every business sector, including technology, pharmaceuticals, transportation and logistics, engineering, manufacturing, business service, retail, professional service, finances, packaging, and corporate clothing. And I don't even think we missed any of them. And he started on Wall Street working for Bank of America, Hewlett Packard, Forrester, and Gartner. And he advised some of the world's largest corporations in investments, mergers, acquisitions, disposals, and restructuring until he almost missed the birth of his second son. Carl quit that rat race and he began brokering businesses for himself. And today he is considered one of the world's premier experts on buying and financing small business acquisitions. He is the founder of Dealmaker Wealth Society. And I am Super excited to talk, and I want to welcome to the show, Carl. Carl, welcome, man. Thanks for having me, Tony. Thanks for the intro. Awesome. Absolutely. And you know, when I when I saw your intro and I read it and I listened to it and I was like, oh, this is, this is going to be a good one. And I want to dive into your backstory sure. about where you started. And there's a couple of things that are really intriguing to me, but we'll, we'll certainly get to that. But talk to me about your rat race experience on Wall Street? Yeah, so so I've had a journey, let me tell you. My journey started in the in 1992, so I've been a deal maker for 28, 28 years and three weeks. I started in early July 1992, so I, I left university. My, my degree, actually, was in structural engineering, because I was a structural engineer, and I was, uh, I was interned through my degree, and I was working in a design office designing buildings and bridges and all that sort of stuff. And I was really, really bored. And, you know, I was very, very underpaid. And my buddy, who I lived with at university, uh, who'd got like a really inferior degree in, I don't know, basket weaving or something crazy. Uh And he'd gotten, he'd got a job at Bank of America in their graduate training program. And he was earning like four times what I was earning. And this guy was really dumb. So I thought, well, you know what? He won't mind me saying that if he's listening. Sorry, Bill. Um, he uh, so I went down to London to see him for the weekend. I met his boss, uh, and his boss pitched me in the bar to go work for him. So I did. So I quit the structural engineering world and I went into the uh, graduate training program for Bank of America, which um, is is pretty tough. It's a bit like doing the Navy SEALs training. Um, yeah. Only about ten percent survive. So you know, there's lots of all nighters and all those different things. So I did that, and then about nine months in. I ended up in the mergers and acquisitions team, which is where you're buying and selling quite large businesses on behalf of of corporates. So I was doing deals for IBM, GE, Microsoft, Boeing, Lockheed Martin, you know, some really large companies. Mm. So I kind of fell into that. And um, it's really interesting. I remember sitting down with uh, with my superior on the first day of that assignment. And I said, you know, what the hell is mergers and acquisitions? He said, it's like buying and selling real estate, but it's a bit more, bit more involved. 
So I fell into that. My first deal was was a, uh, a deal in the in the defense industry. Was hooked. So I went on a, a phenomenal journey, doing tons and tons and tons of deals all over the world. And then uh, I, I left that role in uh, gosh, I can't remember now. Early two thousands. Uh, I went to business school in Chicago, so I did an MBA, which was really really good. I then spent a little bit of time in in private equity, which is companies that invest in small businesses. And we invested in in a technology business, which we ended up selling to Hewlett Packard, the technology giant. And I ended up going as part of that deal, and then was was an M and A director for HP for a number of years, flying all over the world, closing deals, both buying businesses. You know, one business I acquired was north of ten billion dollars for HP. It was a, a big IT services company, and then we. Um, I was in Moscow, 2008. This was the 1st of February, 2008. I was in Moscow. I was in a boardroom uh, closing a deal. We were buying a printing company. And my my wife was uh, pregnant at the time. She was 36 weeks pregnant with um, with our son, Josh, who uh, was 12 in February. And the phone rang, and I'm in the middle of this pitch trying to close this deal, and the phone's ringing, like ringing and ringing, and I thought, well, I better answer it. So I answered it, and I could hear the sirens in, in, in the ambulance. And my wife said, like, don't panic, but I've gone into labor four weeks early, and I'm on the way to the hospital. You've got to get back here right now. So I literally ran out of the office. L- luckily, I had my wallet, my phone, and my passport. Uh, I left all my luggage. It's probably still there. I never went back for it. So I, I ran out of the boardroom. I hailed down a cab, which in the middle of Moscow is not the easiest thing to do. I got to the airport, I got home, and I had a police escort from the airport to the hospital, and I managed to get there minutes before my son came out. So my son was born, uh, and I'm cradling this little guy in my arms, and I just thought, you know what, I'm done. I I just don't want to work for somebody anymore. You know, I've missed... I've missed the whole pregnancy with my wife, probably not being a great kind of supportive husband through it, was charging around the world doing deals for other people, making other people phenomenally wealthy. So I quit. I walked away from seven figures of stock options because very senior guy at HP, and, and, and I retired. I thought, you know, I had enough money to retire, so I retired at 37. And after about three weeks, I just couldn't hack it anymore. I was really frustrated. I'd gone from 100 hours a week in the rat race to doing absolutely nothing. And whilst it was lovely to be with my family, I needed something to keep my mind kind of stimulated. So uh, so I sat down with my wife and I said to her, I don't know what to do. I don't want to have a boss. I don't want to have a job. I don't want to start a business because, oh my God, it's like the craziest thing in the world you could ever do because 96% of businesses fail from startup. She said, well, why don't you become a business broker? You know, you're you're one of the best in the world at buying and selling businesses. Go go do that. So I, I set myself up as a business broker. I found a, a transportation company in the United Kingdom to sell quite a big business. But in the end, I, I couldn't help myself. I bought it. I bought it using my own methodology. So what I'd learned, the kind of the craft I'd mastered, Tony, during my Wall Street career, is is how to finance deals uh, and how to do deals without investing, you know, personal money, how to get investors and and financiers involved in deals so that you could buy them and not having to risk any of your own personal uh, capital, you know, to own those companies. So I applied that methodology 
not on Wall Street, but on Main Street. Yeah. So I bought this transport company and I bought 70% of it. I, I gave the management team of the business the other 30%. And we, we grew that. And then I, I sold my 70% to the other three investors uh, after about three years. So uh, made a nice kind of significant profit on that. And then just started going out buying businesses. So buying them, growing them, selling them. Uh, and I still do that today. I'm a co-partner in a private equity firm based in Baltimore called Prox Capital Group. So we we buy, grow, and sell small businesses kind of in the $1 to $10 million revenue range. And then, uh, and that's all great. So that drives my wealth creation. It drives a lot of my freedom. Uh, that's all great. But what I, what I do that I love even more is I coach this stuff. So about four years ago, I was starting to get kind of inundated by people saying, Carl, you've got to teach this stuff. You've developed a proprietary formula for buying small businesses, but using Wall Street math and Wall Street tactics. And no one's doing that. You know, you need to teach this stuff. And, and I resisted it for like a year. And then eventually I thought, well, you know what? I, I'm going to do it. So, but I thought I'm not gonna I'm not gonna go to hotels and and have like you know expensive courses where people come and for three days. I thought I'm, I'm going to put all this stuff online. So I, I built an online program, a coaching program, to teach entrepreneurs, you know, how to do what I do and and, and to share with them, you know, how I do business, you know, how I how I determine what type of business to buy, how I find deals uh, that are going to fit that specification, how to really build relationships with sellers and and, and how to negotiate deals, which are kind of win-win deals. They're a win for you because you're not having to invest personal funds. And they're a win for the seller because you're really understanding what's motivating them, what's driving them to sell, and, and you're building a deal around that. And then how to how to finance deals? How to you know if you're not putting your own money into a deal, whose money is going in, and what do they want in return? So understanding all that, and then how to how to work with people to close deals, like attorneys to to write the deals up, and CPAs to to do some of the due diligence that that you need to do to make sure that you're buying a business that, that's going to be safe. So I put all that together, and that is what created Dealmaker Well Society. So today. Uh, I'm really proud to serve and coach 5,500 entrepreneurs all over the world in all different sectors, all genders, all races to, to do deals. And uh, some of the deals that they've closed are just phenomenal. And the lives that we've seen changed by people that have come in. And, you know, this, don't get me wrong, this isn't easy. This yeah. isn't a get rich quick scheme. This, this takes some time and it takes some focus. Uh, it's like anything in life, you, you know, you need to work hard and apply yourself. And um, for those that have done that, the hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people that have done that, the, the life-changing results they've had have been phenomenal. And that, that makes me so proud. And, and that's almost like, that's like the legacy that I'm building now. You know, we're, we're disrupting the buying and selling of small businesses all over the world. We're arming a trained deal force team to uh, to go out there and do those deals. And it's great. So that, that's what I do. Wow. So half of my time, I'm buying and selling my own businesses through my PE firm. The other half of my time, I'm, I'm leading and coaching uh, thousands of entrepreneurs that want to learn to do what I do. Wow, that's super exciting. I mean, there's so much over this last few minutes that you just shared. And I want to go back to a part that you talked about that 
really hit home for me. And I read this one, this one statement until I almost missed the birth of my second son. I read that statement and I said, we got a lot in common and he doesn't even know it. Yeah. 2006, my daughter was born, Sophia. And it was September 2006. And my wife was pregnant. Same thing, same exact process. We were about seven weeks out. And I was working three jobs. I was, we were young. We were in our 20s. I was a personal trainer in the morning. I was coaching baseball in the afternoon at the local university. And I was working at uh, UPS at night unloading trucks. And I was at baseball practice. And my, my wife had gone to her normal checkup. And, you know, she hadn't had any issues or whatever. It was hot. It was, you know, it was late September or early September. It was hot here. And the doctor looked at her and said, have you had any, had you had any complications or anything like this over the last few days? And she said, no. And they looked at her with this sense of urgency and said, we need to go. And they threw her in the back of the doctor's SUV. There was no time for ambulances. There was no time for anything. They laid her in the back of the doctor's SUV, rushed her to the hospital rushed her up to have an emergency C-section. And my daughter, Sophia Grace Laprino, was born seven weeks premature at four pounds, seven ounces. Here's the difference. I missed everything. Really? I missed everything. That must really hurt. I came back. I, came, I was leaving baseball practice. I looked at my phone. I had hundreds of missed calls, hundreds of messages, and they continued to get worse and worse and worse and worse and worse. I just didn't have my phone on me. Why would I think? I mean, seven weeks before I'm becoming a dad and I'm good to go. Yeah. Um, but here's, you know, you had your lesson. You said this is enough, right? Yeah. And what I learned, my biggest lesson was, is that when you focus on the wrong things, it leads to missed opportunities. Yeah. My focus was on making as much money as possible to to ensure that my growing family would be okay. Yeah. And it cost me being there for my daughter. So that's yeah. when I said, it's enough, right? Yeah, that's brutal. Yep. Yeah. No yep. It's something that's, you know, that I got to live with and... Um, it's something that you have to, you know, you definitely have to work through those types of things. So I feel where you're coming from. I absolutely understand. And I think there's a lot of, I think there's a lot of us out there. I think there's a lot of dads out there and a lot yeah. of men out there who focus on, on making money and focus on running the rat race. And it can be, yeah. it can be detrimental to, to the rest of your life. And I, so I completely understand that. Yeah, I know. I think that's a really interesting point. And you know, for, for me, when I'd been through that process, and obviously, literally, I, I was able to catch the birth, but I just felt, I felt guilty that I'd just not been around. So unlike you, you'd obviously been around and you were doing all the right things pre the birth. You know, kind of, I, I wasn't, you know, I, I, I wasn't, I, I was flying all over the place doing loads of things. And, and it wasn't financial reasons. It, I, I guess it was more kind of greed and ego. And, yeah. you know, I, I, I was in a, I was in a place back then where, you know, it's a very kind of bravado world and, uh, and, and it made me into somebody that I didn't want to be. Yeah. So that I, I just threw it all away. I just said, you know what? I don't like the person that I am. I'm not a family person and that has got to change. You know, I, I, I had an older son from my first marriage. This was my, my second marriage. This, this one had to work and I'd, I'd been a, you know, a terrible husband, really, in, in, in that leading time up. I'd just been all over the place. Uh, you know, I'd missed all the scans. I'd just not been good. So I thought, well, I'm going to make it up to my family and I'm going to quit and be with them all the time. And so that kind of purpose, that sense of 
family is is what really drove me. And and what's really interesting is if you look at the human mindset and you look at what separates the winners versus the losers, for me, it's got nothing to do with skill. Although some skills are important, it's got nothing to do with money, although your financial resources can help you. For me, it's all about your your purpose, your your why. Yes. And and that really comes down to, you know, what's the leverage that you have over yourself to to make you follow through. And mm-hmm. and it's really interesting. I, I and I used to I used to be a heavy smoker. Yeah. So I used to smoke like 40 cigarettes a day. It was crazy. And um, my son Josh, he was probably five at the time, he came into my office. Uh, at home, I had a study at home, and I was smoking out the window, and I threw the cigarette away, and uh, he was in tears. He said, Daddy, I don't want you to die. If you keep smoking, Mum says you're going to die. Uh, and I'd, I'd read every book on stopping smoking. I'd been to cessation clinics. I'd taken meds. I tried hypnosis. Nothing worked. That little guy came into my office in tears saying, you know, if you don't quit smoking, you're going to die. You're not going to be able to take me to school anymore. You're not going to be able to coach me at soccer. We're not going to be able to make our pizzas like we do. And that was it. Boom. Yeah. Never, never touched a cigarette since. And Because that gave me the leverage. That gave me the purpose and the yes. why and the yes. fuel to, to do something. And, yeah. and it's the same. Anything in life, you can boil down to that, especially buying businesses. And, you know, because if you think about it, nobody wants to buy a business. Nobody wants to own a business. What people want are the benefits that come from being a business owner, like wealth creation and cash flow and freedom and pride and ego in some cases and assurance and security and all those different things. That's what we crave as human beings. And buying a business can give you all of those different things. And, And as humans, you have to associate in to what you really want. Uh, and then once you know what you really want, then doing it is easy. You've just got to follow through. But once you've got the fuel and you've really dialed in your mindset to take that massive action and, and have that resilience, yeah. um, you've got to do that. Something that I'm doing right now, which is quite interesting, I'm I'm 50 in um, in October. And I was talking to my, I, you know, I, I have loads of coaches and mentors and people find that crazy because I'm a coach and a mentor to so many people. People find it really odd that I have coaches and mentors in my life. I have a personal trainer. Uh, I have a performance coach. You know, I'm a platinum partner in, of Tony Robbins and I have, uh, I mean, it's mastermind. So I have a performance coach that works with me every couple of weeks, not because I need drastic help because I'm constantly leveling up my life in all areas of my life. Yes. So I, I have this coach and um, my, you know, my, I, I made a lot of money last year and did a lot of phenomenal things. And my coach said to me about a month ago, he said, Carl, you know, you've got to, it's time to level up now. We need some new goals. You need to start stretching yourself again. You had a phenomenal 2019. Let's kick on. Let's do something great. And I said to him, okay, I'm going to do 75 hard. And he's like, really? I said, yeah. So I don't know if you know 75 hard, Andy Frisella. It's like a triathlon for the mind. You've got to work out twice a day, 45 minutes each, one indoors, one outdoors. And you've got to stick to a really kind of rigorous diet. You can't drink alcohol. You've got to drink a gallon of water every day. You've got to read personal development books. <laughs> you've got to track and take, yeah, all that stuff. So yeah. it's, it's insane. So I'm five days in. 
I nice. started it on Saturday. How you doing? I'm doing great, actually. I'm doing great. The last 24 hours, my energy's really dropped. The first three days was a walk in the park. Yeah. It's the workouts because I'm not getting any younger. I'm, I'm 40, almost 50, 49 and a bit. I'm almost 50 years of age. Yeah. Um, so that's the bit, really. So the diet, the water, the no alcohol, the journaling, the progress photos, the reading, absolute walk in the park. So all I need to do now is really focus in on how do I protect my physical body for the next 70 days? What do I need to do? Is it massages I need? Do I need to do more stretching? Do I need to eat slightly different foods to give me the power and the fuel? I've had somebody design me. Um, they, they took my all of my readings, my, my metabolism, yeah. and they designed the perfect protein shake. And I've got I bought bags and bags of it. It's cost me hundreds and hundreds of dollars. Um, so that's kind of getting me through. Yeah. But uh, yeah, the last uh, last 24 hours, is, my energy's not been high. Uh, yeah. And I, I've kind of not been sleeping great. Because obviously, when, when you get to my age and you drink a gallon of water a day, one has to uh, get up multiple times during the <laughs> night to get rid of it. It has so, nothing to do with age. I have two. Um, same exact yeah, thing, man. Yeah, <laughs> it's inconvenient so, uh, as all hell, but you know what? It makes it feel good. But it's amazing, really. Uh, so I'm really, uh, I'm really committed to following through and getting that done. And and I think that you know the kind of the mindset enhancements that it's going to give me. You know, it's like a big mindset firmware upgrade. So it'll be interesting to see what that does. Yeah. And what's also really good is obviously I've I've gone viral in all of my social channels. Some of my uh, my my academy members, my Dealmaker Academy members, my my highest level members in my program. I've I've co-opted about eleven. There's about 150 people in that group. Uh, eleven of them have signed up with me uh, and are doing it alongside of me. Uh, and we're all supporting each other and keeping each other accountable. So wow. that's um, super cool. That's all really good. And, and like my wife said to me, you know, she said, Carl, you know, why, why are you doing this? You know, you, you're, you're reasonably fit. You know, you've got a really badass mindset. You know, why are you doing this? And I just said, because I want to get better. I want to improve everything in my life. You know, how, how boring is life if we settle for what we have, even if it's a phenomenal life, which I have, and, and you know, a great set of tools. You know, why not continue to evolve because and it's not about me it's not about material things it's giving me more power to serve people more power to help people more power to influence and to really mm-hmm. impact the quality right. of of people's lives whether it's buying businesses selling businesses growing businesses you know it doesn't matter we can all get better at things yeah. um, and that's what i'm really focused on right now that's awesome i mean a couple insights that i want to i want to hit on and number one was purpose so you talked about having the outside things, the money, the businesses, having all that type of things. But now what really truly drives you is a purpose. But there's another piece that I, that, that I hit on that I feel separates the managers, the CEOs, the corporate to a true leader, a true leader in, their, in your own life, in your own business, is that you had and created a vision for what you wanted. And that vision was aligned with your values. So with your son coming in, your one of your strong values from just talking to you is family. Yeah. And when he came in and told you, I want you to be around for the rest of my life. I want to continue to make pizzas. That hit you in your values. Oh yeah. And that's where the major change came from. And that's yeah. 
you know, that's super important. That's a, that's a really big insight to hit on is because, you know, there's a lot of times we get so caught up in the outside and I am one of them. I'm going through this process myself as somebody who is a coach, somebody who is a performance coach is I have my own coaches and I have my own mentors just like yourself. And it was, what do you want? What do you want in life? And when you have achievement on one side, which is very strong, you were an achiever. But on the other side, you also have fulfillment. And mirroring those two things together is very difficult to do. But when you align your purpose and you align your vision with your values and you take action inside of your own life, that's when the mesh happens. And that's what you have created. Yeah, thanks for that. No, you're absolutely right. And, and what, what's really interesting, a lot of people say to me, you know, what drives me to you know, coach and mentor so many people and be so passionate about, about changing their lives. And, and it's, kind of, it's kind of a threefold answer. You know, one of the first things that I always talk about is the, the, the crazy rate of startup businesses. So if you look at the data, 6.6 million Americans in 2019 started a brand new company, according to the SBA. And if you talk to Tony Robbins or Michael Gerber or Grant Cardone, I know all three of those people really well, they will all tell you that 96% of businesses fail inside of the first 10 years. 50% of them fail within the first year alone. And, and you know, there's, there's lots of reasons why, but the main reason that most businesses fail is when you start a brand new company, it's what I call the no problem. When you start a brand new company, there's just you. You have no products or services, no employees, no cash, no credit, no premises, no customers, no equipment. You don't have any of that stuff and you don't have any reputation either. And if, if you're brand new into a marketplace and you're targeting a customer to buy something from you, assuming you've built something, are they going to buy from you? You're untested, no testimonials, or are they going to go down the street to somebody that's been doing this for a long, long time? And that's why most businesses is fail in that early period. You know, they, they just can't grasp that. So my kind of answer to that is don't start a business from scratch. If you want to be an entrepreneur, if you want to be an employer, not an employee, don't start a business, go and buy an existing business that someone's built and has survived, but no longer wants to own. And, and people think that businesses that are for sale are bad businesses, that they're not. There's loads of different reasons why people sell. It could be that they want to retire or they could be burnt out, frustrated. Uh, you know, if I owned a business back in 2008, I'd have probably given that business away to be with my family. And, and I see that a lot. You know, I buy a lot of businesses from sellers that uh, they're not necessarily concerned about the cash. They just want a safe, trusted pair of hands to, to take the business on and take it to the next level. And the amount of businesses for sale today is staggering. There's 2.4 million businesses for sale in the United States alone, and only one in 11 will actually sell within the next 12 months because there's a big lack of buyers, sophisticated buyers that A, know how to buy businesses, and B, know how to access the capital and structure the deal. So this is one of the reasons why why I, I, I do this. You know, I want to solve this problem. You know, I, I feel terrible the millions of baby boomers that are retiring and can't sell their businesses. So for me, it's stopping an entrepreneur making the fatal mistake of starting a business, getting hold of that person saying, look, don't do that. There's millions of businesses for sale. I'll teach you 
how to find the businesses that you love, how to how to really get along and build relationships with the seller, how to negotiate a deal that's a win for you and it's a win for the business owner. And then I'll show you how to get the capital that you need to be able to buy that business and do it safely and quickly and efficiently. Uh, and so that's why I'm doing it because a lot of the people that I, I coach and mentor, they remind me of myself 12 years ago. They're stuck in a W2. They're locked in a cubicle working for someone else. They're burning their shoe leather, flying all over the country, selling stuff. They're lining the pockets of their employers and they don't have any skin in the game. They don't have any upside. They're just corporate slaves. And whilst they might be earning six figures, they want more from their lives. You know, they don't want to miss their son's soccer games. They don't want to miss their daughter's ballet class. That you know, they don't want to miss parent-teacher conferences. They don't want to miss date nights with their husband or wives. Mm-hmm. You know, they want to have a quality of life. And it's going back to what you talked about. It's the science of achievement connected with the art of fulfillment. You, you've got to have both in your life. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it's one thing to make millions of dollars a year, but if you're not happy, um, anything. I've, I've met so many depressed billionaires, it's not even funny. <laughs> it's like, you know, why? Because right. they're all about the success, not the fulfillment, right. not the joy of, of how, you know, the, the, their life should be. So, um, so that, that's why I do what I do, Tony. So and, what does it take? What does it even, what does it even take? If you have a complete beginner, you have you got nobody who's any idea how to even pull this thing off. How do you even, where do you even start? What's the criteria that you even have to yeah. even begin to look to acquire a business or even start to even think about acquiring a business? Yeah, so clearly you need some training. Like anything in life, you need to learn how to do this and, and, and master it with practice. As I said before, this isn't a video you can watch for 30 minutes and then all of a sudden you're a multi-millionaire business owner with cash flow. This takes about 100 days of diligent work and focus. You can do this part-time. You don't need to do this full-time. If you do it full-time, you'll close a deal very, very quickly. You're working a job and you have a lot of other commitments in your life, spending you know, four to eight hours a week. You, know, you can do this in um, you know, as little as three months. So, um, so what it takes, first of all, is you know, you, you've got to be hungry. You've got to have, it's what Tony Robbins calls the pleasure pain principle. The, the, the people that have really nailed this in my tribe are the ones that I, I would say were in some pain. You know, they didn't like the quality of life that they, that they had and they wanted something better for themselves, their family, their community. And they really developed that sense of purpose. So the first thing I do with all of my students is I take them through that mindset. What What's the mindset of a business owner look like? What do you have to believe to be true to be able to do this? And there's some conditioning work required. And, uh, you know, I, I show people a lot of my productivity hacks and, you know, how to, how to partner with people if you lack certain skills and, you know, how to really kind of set yourself up for success when you do this. And, and once you've got over that little kind of hurdle, and it, it only takes a few weeks, then I, I take my students through what I call the perfect deal-making triad. So the perfect business for you to buy has got to hit three points. And the perfect business for me to buy, Tony, is going to be completely different from the perfect business that, that, that you would buy. So the first point, arguably the most important, they're all important, but this one's really important, is for your first deal, 
buy a business in your lane. One of the biggest rookie mistakes that a deal maker makes is they come into the program, they get the mindset, and then all of a sudden they think they're Gordon Gecko and they can buy any business anywhere, any size. And it doesn't work like that. For your first deal, you have to stay in your swim lane. You have to buy a business in a sector that you know, that you understand, that you're passionate about. And obviously, you can add value to that business once you've bought it. And don't get me wrong. When you buy a company, you don't have to run that company. You can be an owner investor. That's what I do. I own multiple businesses all over the world, and I don't work in any of them. I work a couple of hours a week at most in any of my businesses. I have general managers or CEOs that are running my businesses for me, and, and I give them equity in my businesses to be my partner and to incentivize them. So I don't want people to think that if you buy a business, then you've got to go in there every day and run it. You don't. You can have other people do that for you. But there are a lot of people that want to buy a business and they want to get in there. They want to drive the bus. And that's completely fine. So point number one is buy a business in a sector that you know and that you understand. So if you're, if you're a sales guy for IBM, go buy a technology company. Don't buy a gas station or a laundromat. Yeah. Because, why wow, you can't add any value. Right. But let's say I was working with a student recently. Um, he was a sales guy at IBM, which is why I brought it up. Uh, he wanted to buy a vineyard in Northern California. And I said, you know, why, why do you want to do that? I said, I'm so passionate about wine. You know, I love wine. I want to get into the wine business. Uh, I said, well, your biggest problem is you don't know anything about that industry. So why would a seller sell to you as a safe pair of hands when you have no credibility and no experience. I said, the best thing you can do is go and find a partner. I said, by all means, you can do the deal, you can run the process, you can raise the financing, you can be the coach of the team, but go find somebody that knows that space, partner with them, and you can own the business 50-50. He said, well, I don't don't want to own 50%, I want to own 100%. I said, look, buddy, it's better to own 50% of something than 100% of nothing you will struggle to buy a business in a sector that you have absolutely no understanding of how it works. So that's the first point, stay in your lane. The second point is you need to find a motivated seller of a good business. So we don't buy bad businesses. There are loads of businesses out there that you can buy for a dollar and you've got to get in there, turn them around. It's really tough. I don't preach any of that stuff. There are other people that that coach that stuff, not me. I'd rather buy a good business that's profitable and you can raise capital to buy it on the strength of the financials. And then you're not worrying about running out of cash and getting into serious trouble. So it's all about the mindset of the seller. And what's really interesting, Tony, is you can take two identical businesses. So imagine two businesses and they're exactly the same. They have the same product or service. They've got the same employees, they're in the same building, they've got the same revenues, the same earnings, the same balance sheet, the same cash flows, they're identical. The only difference is the owner. And more importantly, what's going on in the mindset and the psychology of the owner. So business number one is owned by somebody like you. You know, young guy, really smart, really driven, having a lot of fun, really enjoying life, really enjoying being in the business. Um, the, the, the average value of a business is about two and a half times its annual free cash flow in the United States. So, but he might want to sell for five times. Every business is for sale. 
don't let anyone ever tell you that mm-hmm. the business is sell. Every business is sell. It's just a question of how much you're going to pay. If if you had $1.6 trillion, you can go and buy Apple. You can be the owner of Apple or Amazon or Microsoft. Um, every business is for sale. But for somebody that doesn't want to sell, it's not motivated to sell, they're going to want a premium price for their business and they're going to want most of the money for that business at closing, which is the day you take over. So again, identical business, but that, the other seller, let's say he's 62 or she's 62, wants to retire, children don't want to take the business on, they're working in the business, not on the business, so they feel a little bit trapped, they're getting tired, frustrated, running out of ideas, you know, they've owned the business for 30 years, and they just want out, they've made some money, they might sell for two to two and a half times their cash flow, but they don't necessarily need to take all of the money at closing. They might be prepared to take, say, half of it at closing and then let you pay the other half of the money over time. And that's called seller financing. And that's one of the the strategies that we teach to have our students structure the deals where the less money you have to pay the seller at closing, the less financing you have to bring to the table. So it just de-risks the whole process for everybody. So it's finding that motivated seller. It's the motivated guy, not the guy that, yeah, he'll sell, but he wants a crazy price for his business. Uh, The third point of the three is you want to find a business that's got a financial profile that is going to support what we call a leveraged buyout. So leveraged buyout, fancy Wall Street term, did a bunch of them back in the day. But essentially, what a leveraged buyout is, is you're just buying a business using other people's money, OPM. And OPM is very common in real estate. Yes, A lot of people buy and sell real estate. They don't use their own money. We're using the same principles, but with a few little twists. Because businesses are different than real estate. Real estate's kind of cold when it comes to valuation. (laughs) It's based on where it's located or how much rental income it can generate. That's what drives real estate valuations. For a business, what drives the value of a business is what's going on in the mind of the seller. It's 90% psychology and 10% math. So you find that person, and I teach people how to deal with these people, how to build relationships, how to truly understand what's going on, what they actually want, what's their outcome in selling their business. And then you build a deal structure that maps to all those different things. So from a financial perspective, if you're having to make a closing payment, some deals you don't. Some deals you don't need to raise financing. There might be a lot of cash in the business, which you can just give to the seller as the closing payment. You know, the business has tons of cash he doesn't need. Okay, Mr. Seller, that's your closing payment. Then I'll pay you a monthly payment for the next two years, three years, four years, whatever you agree. Um, And you're using the cash flow that the business is generating to be able to what to pay that seller. A lot of sellers, and this is really surprising, a lot of sellers, nirvana for them is to still get paid from the business every month, but not have to go into work. Go play golf, go be right. with the spouse, go be with their kids, yeah. but still get paid. Right. But get paid in a secure way. Time freedom. Time freedom. So you find someone like that, uh, you don't need to raise any financing. You know, there's there's quicker ways to do these deals, and you know, I teach people all this stuff. Um, and again, this is this is 28 years of of in the trenches work. 
you know, a lot of it on really big deals, but a lot of it on really small deals as well. And um, again, there's a lot of psychology uh, involved in this because if you think of a, a seller of a business, a baby boomer, 62, coming to retire, let's say they started that business 25 years ago. Uh, let's say it's an engineering business in Pennsylvania. They've probably spent more time in that business than they have with their own family. So they're not just going to give it to somebody that's going to rip it up like a trade buyer, like a competitor that rips it up and generates lots of profit. They want somebody, in most cases, that will come in, buy that business and honor it and cherish it and protect the legacy that the owner has built, safeguard their employees, keep them in work. The first deal that I ever did that I talked about before, the transport deal, the reason why I bought that business rather than sell it to a competitor is the competitors that we interviewed as potential buyers, they were just going to rip the business apart. All they wanted were the, uh, the vehicles and the customers. They didn't want any of the employees. And the owners, the two brothers, said, we don't want that. We can't retire with millions of pounds in our bank accounts, sat on a beach, drinking champagne, knowing that our employees that help us build this company were going to be put in harm's way. We're not going to be able to make their, their house loan payments, their car payments, put food on the table for their families. We don't want that. We want somebody that will keep all these people on. And you know, we, we want to see the name of this business survive. We want to see it grow and prosper. We don't want it destroyed just to be folded into some big other company. And I turned around and I said, well, I'll, I'll buy the business and I'll partner with the top three people in your management team and we'll run the business together and we'll grow it and we'll make you really proud of us. We want you cheering us from the sidelines. And that's what happened. And, wow. and that gave me wow. the notion and the vision to do what I do now because I thought, well, there must be millions of sellers in the world that feel this way and there are. There are. And I yeah. teach yeah. my students how to find them. Well, that's, I mean, that's the next part is you get three pillars. You get three things that have to happen. But next is, where do you go? How do you, how do you find these things? How do you yeah. end? So the, uh, the fancy word for that is, is called deal origination. You know, everyone talks about deal origination and generating deal flow. So it's where do you get deals that you can look at? Because again, you might need to look at 10 or, or 20 deals to find the perfect deal for you that ticks those three boxes that we talked about before. It's in a sector you know. It's a motivated seller of a good business, and it's got assets and cash flows that you can use for financing. So once you've um, once you know what type of business you want to buy, there are four primary methods to get deals. So the first one, and this is where most people go, um, is to business brokers. Now that's not my go-to strategy. I'll tell you what mine is in a minute. But a lot of people go to business brokers. They go to bizbysell.com or they go to Transworld or you, know, you can type in Google business brokers and you get thousands of listings. And, and quite rightly, they have listings of lots of different businesses. So you know, a lot of them are either small businesses or they're not very good businesses or brokers, not all brokers, but a lot of brokers have a tendency to overvalue um, you know, the business and that they set artificial levels with the sellers, then it's kind of really hard to, to kind of do these deals. So we tend to stay away from brokers for the most part, although I've bought some really good businesses that uh, have come through brokers. My go-to method is via relationships. So what's interesting is if you're 
if you're coming up to the stage where you want to sell a business, so Tony, imagine you're 60 mm-hmm. or 40 or whatever you are, and you own a business and you're getting to the point where, let's say, you know, you've just been on a great vacation and you've come back and you're back in your business and you think, you know, I'm thanks time for me to sell or, yeah. or you just, you know, you get sick or whatever, whatever reason you have for selling your business. Before you go anywhere near a business broker, there are four people that you'll tell. You'll tell your wealth manager, if you have one, i.e. Mr. Wealth Manager, I'm going to be selling my business in the next year. Hopefully I get some good money for it. I'm going to want a place to invest that money to make it work for me. So you talk to your wealth manager, you talk to your CPA. Hey, Mr. CPA, quick heads up. Uh, I'm going to be selling the business shortly. Get ready for due diligence. The buyer's probably going to want to have all the numbers and all that stuff. You're going to call your attorney and have the same conversation. Going to be selling my business soon. There's going to be some legal work involved. Get ready. And then you'll tell your bank or a financier, if you already have financing in your business, you'll let those guys know. So what I teach, and this is really, really cool, what I teach my students to do is how to build networks with those deal intermediaries and how to how to get access to those people. Because well, the interesting thing is when you're buying a business, you need some of those people yourself anyway. Mm-hmm. So you need to be going out there and building those relationships. But then they become a source of deal flow for you because they'll know people either through their own practice, through their network, through the people that they golf with or vacation with or whatever. They all have access to deals. So that's a great way to get deal flow. Um, there's a lot of methods I teach around leveraging social media, particularly LinkedIn and groups, Facebook as well. Mm-hmm. Some of the businesses I bought from Facebook marketing, crazy. Really? People think Facebook's a place to post pictures of your cats and vacation. <laughs> it's a phenomenal engine yeah. for business, in my opinion. So we teach all that. And then my old favorite, which is, you know, because clearly 28 years ago, we didn't have Facebook, LinkedIn, and Google to do deal origination. Right. We use the old-fashioned method, uh, which is called the direct approach. So I teach a process of how to very confidentially approach owners of businesses that you like, you know, show you how to find these businesses, how to learn about the business and how to get insights on the sellers so you can communicate with them in a very rapport-building, a very kind of friendly mm-hmm. um, situation. So those are kind of the big four methods. Yeah. And from there, you get a bunch of opportunities. You can use all four. And then what you do is once you know uh, what type of business that you want to buy, obviously you're going to be originating deals in that industry. And then you can kind of, um, you can filter those deals based on the criteria you have. And then the two things we talked about before, a motivated seller and a business that's got some assets and some cash flow, which you can then use to be able to, to structure a deal. Gotcha. So with all your the students who have come through your program, come through your process and have been successful, have you found any typical trends about the type of person, what allows them to be successful in this process, any characteristics that seem to be a just a natural a fit and a flow that have created that success? You know what I'm saying? One of those types of students, are they, are they particular types of people or? Yeah. Um, it, it's people come from all 
people come from all aspects of life. I've had people join the program that have already been multimillionaires and have done deals. I've had people that had to sell their furniture to enroll for one of my coaching programs. Three kind of three kind of things that just spring to mind is whilst I would say probably 80% of my students are male and 20% are female. Uh, I don't want to uh, to kind of cause any controversy here, but what I would say is women make phenomenal deal makers, unbelievable deal makers. Some some of the deals that uh, my female students have closed have been exceptional. I'm thinking it's maybe because they're maybe more rigorous or happy to follow a process, sticking to the rules. Because um, obviously, you know, if you're going through the, the journey with me, if you veer massively off track, you know, it could get lost. Mm. You know, women generally, I think, for the most part, maybe have a bit more discipline and a bit more focus. So women are very good deal makers. Uh, people that have served in the military um, had some phenomenal success stories from people that have been in the military because I think they, they already have good mindsets and yeah. they're used to following rules and they're very disciplined. Those are, those are great traits to have. Um, people that come from a sales background are very, very good because the process of deal origination is very similar to the process of sales origination. You know, you're, you're building a funnel of multiple opportunities and you're going through a process of filtering and then closing. It's the same when you're selling a product versus buying a company. Gotcha. So salespeople are very, very good. And then, yeah, and I, I think kind of deep down, the kind of overarching trait is, and I mentioned this at the start, is, you know, people that are hungry, people that want a better life, people that want to be more, people that are really frustrated in where they are right now and have, you know, great aspirations of, you know, being free, being financially free, building a legacy for themselves and their family, you know, the pride of owning company or companies, and, and really kind of dialing that in to their daily activity. Yep. That, if there was one thing, that for me is what sets apart the winners and the losers. Do you see that there are more people out there who are truly striving, that they know that they want more, they know what's inside of them, but they just they just don't know how to get there? They've just been following the typical path of, yeah. of life and they want the freedom they want the the time and the finance freedom and all those types of things that you just talked about do you feel that there's more people out there than not they just haven't they just oh, haven't yeah. had exposure I, to that yeah i, I, I get I, it i i would say 80% of the population is probably in that uh in, in in that place but you know we all get stuck in patterns don't we oh yeah we all get stuck in our comfort zone mm-hmm. you know to make real change in your life you know, in life, you get what you tolerate. Yeah, you get That's what you. That's a great tolerate. statement right there. You get what you tolerate. You get that you is tolerate. a writer downer right there. Yeah, you get what you tolerate, and, and I think you know wherever you are in your life, what you have or don't have is the sum of what you've tolerated so far. And and I think to get real change in your life, you've got to do things differently to what you've already done. What you've done to get you to where you are. It's going to be different to what you need to do to get you in, into the next stage. And uh, I, I think a lot of people, A, they're not aware of these types of strategies to build wealth. Uh, I think a lot of people out there have the kind of opinion that things are kind of get rich quick and they're not. My strategies are get rich slow. You can make an awful lot of money doing what I do. 
but it takes work and mastery and dedication. You need to learn skills. You need to have tools. This is what I provide to all of my people, but it's not for the faint-hearted. Anyone that's afraid of doing some work, I can't help them. People that don't want to change and don't want to improve themselves, I I can't help them because they're not going to have the purpose and the drive to, you know, to kind of follow through. Right. It's all about execution. Yeah. You can have, you know, there's, there's been a billion, billion dollar ideas, but they're not a, there's not a billion billionaires. Right. It's all about execution. You've got to take the action. You've got to follow through and you can't follow through if you don't have that drive inside of you, that purpose, that why, that fuel to, to kind of keep pushing you through because at the end of the day, life's hard. Nothing in life worth having is easy. Mm-hmm. And 95% of any journey is simple. But it's that 5% that gets tricky and tough where you need that, that mindset, that strength to kind of get you through. And if you've got the right purpose, you know, you can make it happen. You know, if, if, if I kidnap your family, Tony, and said, you've got 99 days to buy a business, but you can't use any of your own money, you and I both know you'll, you'll smash it inside of seven days right. because you have purpose and fuel to make it happen. Right. Uh, obviously, that's a bad example, but... Uh, I don't think it's a great example. I think it's a really great example because you think about, you think about the W-2 employee or you think about the business owner who is working in their business as a solopreneur, somebody who I've been that way for my entire life. My time is being robbed away from my family. So it's, what's, it's no different. It's yeah. no different. Good analogy. Yeah, good analogy. So, I mean, that's super great to know. And and there's a lot of these principles and a lot of the things that you just talked about and the mentality, the psychology, to all those things that you want in life. It's not just applied to business. It's applied to everything in life. It's applied to your mindset and your beliefs. It's applied to your health and your wellness. You're seeing that right now. If Everybody would be fit, right? Everybody would have super bodies if it was easy, right? And then inside of your relationships with your families and then inside of your businesses. All those traits play a huge part in any type of growth whatsoever. So super intuitive right there. And a couple of things I want to I want to hit on before we wrap this up. I mean we've been going for an hour and I don't want to take too too much of your time. I'm really I really appreciate the time that you spent with me. Talk to me about building that legacy and why it's important to you of building that building that legacy of multi-generational wealth. Why is that important to you and why are you even doing it? Yeah, so so for me, my legacy really stems from from two things. So so one is to really provide for my family in generations to come. But the, the real driver for me is I don't want anybody to have to go through what I went through 10 years ago or 12 years ago, where I almost missed the birth of my son and was so trapped in, in a corporate situation that I was neglecting what was the most important thing for me. And and I also think, you know, a big part of my legacy is there's a massive problem in the small business environment right now, especially in the United States. You've got 10,000 baby boomers retiring every day. Tons of them own small businesses. You've got entrepreneurs, 6.6 million of them a year start a business, and most of them fail. They go through, you know, relationship issues, financial issues, health issues, so for me, you know, I've been through all that stuff. I have a skill set and a set of experiences that can save all these people. And, and you know, if you define what legacy means, le- legacy is 
something that you do that lives beyond you. Mm. And that's what drives me every single day. That's powerful. I could stop doing this right now for financial reasons, but I won't. I'll be doing this for as long as I can because there's still millions of more lives that I'm yet to change. That's amazing. Absolutely. That's, I mean, that's a, that's a big thing, a real big thing and a real noble thing as a business owner, as a husband, as a father, a real noble thing for you to, to take that path and, and really trust it and build your skill set and build something that, that is true to your purpose and true to your passions. Uh, and, and you're helping and serving others who are, who are fighting the fight every single day. And you don't want them to go through the same things that you went through. And that's a pretty powerful thing in, in life and in business. And before we wrap this thing up, I want to know who's Carl as the non-businessman. Talk to me about talk to me about the fun stuff. Talk to me about life, man. Talk to me about things that you like yeah. to do. Travel, books, movie, beers. You got tattoos, man. We're in the we're in the ink game together. You know, yeah. tell me about that. So crazily, yeah. So when I left the Wall Street world, two thousand and eight. I, I wanted to do something that I could never have done as a Wall Street guy. So, mm-hmm. you know, never took drugs, didn't like piercings. So I thought I'll get a tattoo. So I started off with a little tattoo at the top of my, uh, my arm here. Yeah. And I think, I don't know if your, uh, your, your viewers can, can see this, but I have a full sleeve tattoo all the way down. It's got the name of my wife, it's got the name of my two sons on here. It's got the time I was born. It's got a whole bunch of different things on my arm. So, so yeah, I, I do like my my, my tattoo. Nice. Um, I'm uh, massively into cycling, so I, I I won't say how much I paid for it, but I have an insane road bike. What kind? Uh, it's a giant carbon uh, bike. Duty. Yeah, it cost me a, a bunch of money, but uh, I'm well I'm, worth it. I'm really into that, so I love my. <laughs> My cycling, uh, obviously, I'm going through 75 hard at the moment, yeah. so I'm not drinking beer. But I love my love my beer, love to travel. Uh, my eldest son, uh, Ryan, he lives in Australia, so I can't go to Australia right now because of the travel restrictions. But I tend to go to Australia a couple of times a year, so I love traveling. Obviously, I do also normally spend half of my time in the states in my in my PE firm. My I have a beautiful wife, Julia. Uh, so I have, I have two boys, three dogs. I have three stepchildren, um, which is amazing. One lives at home with us. Uh, the other two, they're uh, they're in their twenties. They've uh, grown up and you know, moved on and getting on with their lives. I love reading. I read at least two books a week. I don't read novels. I only read. But you might see my bookshelf. Yeah, behind. that was going to be my question. Are you a reader for? Are you a reader for leisure? Or are you a reader for learning? I'm a reader for learning. I love reading books about about anything, about yeah, psychology, yeah. about business, about marketing. I love autobiographies. Uh, those are my favorite books because success leaves clues. Yeah, I've just the, the book I just read, which I absolutely loved, was called "This Will Never Work," and it's the story of Netflix. Ah. It's the story of the guy that started Netflix. I've got and it on my everybody counter. Everybody said to him, this will never work. So love that book. A um, couple of other favorites. I love the book Shoe Dog, the story of Phil Knight, who built Nike. Mm-hmm. The absolute pain and suffering he had to go through to build that business. He almost went bankrupt about 100 times. I love the book Barbarians at the Gate. Anybody that wants to be a dealmaker, buy that book, Barbarians at the Gate. 
which tells the story of RGR Nabisco. It's a company that uh, was sold for $25 billion in the late 80s. The guy that bought it didn't use a penny of his own money. Wow. So anyone that tells you wow. you can't buy a business without spending your own money, read that book. $25 billion deal. <sighs> didn't invest any of his own money. So uh, the E-Myth, I love that book. Uh, I'm friends with Michael Gerber, who's the author of the E-Myth. That's probably one of the best books on business. Uh, I love all the books around kind of traction, get a grip. You know, the guy, you know, Gino Whitman that's built this awesome entrepreneurial operating system. I use that in all my businesses. Very, very good. I love the book Built to Sell by John Warrillow. Tells a story of, of, of a business that you know, can't sell because the owner really has a job in his business. The business doesn't work without him. And John Warrillow, through his uh, value builder model, teaches sellers how to you know, get out of their businesses so that, that they can sell them. You know, I love my books. I love my dogs. I love my family. I, I'm a lucky guy. I have, I have a great life. But like, you know, like all high-performing people, I, um, I, I want more. I want to do more things. That's awesome. And I, I, love, I love coaching people. I love yeah. serving. Yeah. You know, I love serving people and changing people's lives. That, that's something that I've only really discovered in the last three or four years, just how much I really like leading people. That's that's something that's really, really passionate for me. That's awesome. Where can we find you? Where can we go? I mean, we've spent an hour, a little over an hour, 15 minutes or so diving into buying business acquisitions and and how to do it, how do you yeah. even get started. Where can where can we go? Yeah. So for people that are curious about this, for people that want to understand, you know, what does this process entail? What uh, what does it take to be successful in this? I've put together some really good free training. Um, so people can go through that completely free. Just go in, enter email address so we can send you the link. Uh, if they go to trainwithcarl.com forward slash facts, F-A-C-T-S. Uh, so it's trainwithcarl.com forward slash facts. They can go through that free training. And then for those that think, you know what, I really am interested in doing this, then we have uh, ranges of different coaching programs to, uh, to get you started and uh, and get you through the, the journey of uh, buying a business and closing a deal. Excellent, excellent. Well, thank you for your time. I really do appreciate you taking the time. You're across seas, so I don't even know what time it is. What time is it over there? Oh, it's only uh, 3, 3.17 p.m. So Okay, all right, good deal. Well, I appreciate your time. Thanks for being on the show. Thanks for sharing your stories. Uh, really powerful message. And for the listeners, if you're interested, number one, this is something that you're going to want to listen to multiple times and get yourself acquainted. Get yourself, uh, you got a reading list for the next year from the books that he just put out there and head on over and check Carl out, check out his stuff. Uh, real noble guy, real humble guy. And really glad that you were able to come on the show with me today. My pleasure, Tony. Thanks for having me. All right. Thanks. Thank you for joining me on today's episode of Facing the Facts, the path to gaining control, accessing power, and ultimately creating a life of abundance. Are you an independent business owner or real estate professional who's ever felt like you're out on this island alone, going through this journey of life and business, and there's nobody else around you experiencing the same challenges and problems that you face every single day? Have you ever felt like you just needed somebody to talk to? Somebody who got it. Somebody who has experienced the same challenges that you face. Somebody who could bring some perspective into your world. Or maybe you're tired of trying to figure this game of life out alone 
and you want to talk to somebody about your specific challenges and how to break free of the chaos, I want to introduce to you High Performance Coaching for independent business owners and real estate professionals who want to unlock their life's purpose and passion, access the power across all areas of life, including their health and their wellness, mindset and belief, relationships and family, and gain control of their money so that you can create a life of prosperity and abundance and ultimately reach financial freedom. Head over to the show notes to learn more about high-performance coaching. Stay tuned for next week's episode, and thanks again for joining me.